Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Then Jesus said to them, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of God for the people of God. Be to God. If you were here last week or if you're new this week, just a reminder, we are in the midst of a series uh, called Go Fish, and we're looking at what it means to fulfill the commands of Jesus to go fishing for people, to share our faith, to witness, to evangelize, to help others discover the good news of Jesus. And uh, periodically in this series, we're going to show a video of somebody telling their story of either how they came to Christ or how they came to our church. We call these fishing stories, and we have one for you this morning. So I direct your attention now to the monitors. A good friend of mine who um, her husband and Wade worked together, we were about six months behind them in moving up to Quantico area. So in that six months, they started going to Ebenezer, and then when we moved here, they told us all about it and that we should come, so we did. I got invited from a co-worker uh, in 2010, um, gentleman loving to death and uh, still part of my life now, but he... Uh, he invited in kind of the same thing as far as, um, you know, our first reaction was, well, we have this small child, you know, and we don't be the ones in the back row with the crying kid. And he's like, no, 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 we got, we got child care, we're good. I'm like, okay, that, that sounds great. And then I said, well, the kid sleeps late on Sunday, you know, and he's like, well, we got, we got four services. Surely you're up by six, you know. Oh, okay, you got me. Um, so we, we came, and, uh, and it was great. Um, I think for, for my faith journey, I think just... I was feeling like um, I didn't know enough or I wasn't, you know, I didn't really have a story, I guess, of, you know, I hadn't been baptized yet. So I think all those things just kept me, I guess, fearful to get my foot in the door. Um, and that certainly wasn't the feeling when we came here. We felt, you know, I felt very welcome. And, you know, the first time where it was okay for me to not know the answers and not kind of have my stuff together. To, to be welcomed and, and here. It was the first time in my life I'd ever been in a church and I didn't walk away from the sermon feeling absolutely condemned and just like where it's like, man, I'm, I'm ugh, you know, who, you know, it was the opposite. It was, a, like you said, it was a feeling of love and it was an atmosphere um, of just kind of joy and people were smiling. It wasn't because you had to be here on Sunday. It was, it was just a, a wonderful atmosphere. So that was, that was a huge part of it for us, I think. To continue that story, so you know we, we enjoyed it, and then we got uh, you know got the kid out of Miss Kim, had him in a headlock, I think, and you know we, we got him got him back and uh, got him in the van, and you know was kind of talking through Summer and I, like yeah it was you know a really good service and, and that type of thing, and you know we're we're kind of making our way around by the basement entrance and, and out, and I say uh, I said well boy what'd you what'd you learn about today, you know, and uh, for the first time he said uh, he said I learned about Jesus today. You know, and I, I get kind of jammed up even even talking about it because it, for me it was it was one of those moments where it's like, man, I, I I've got to do some changing. You know, I mean, not only had I lived 
for you know 10 or 12 years robbing you know those around me of a Christian witness but I had also neglected to provide my son a foundation of, of what a Christian life looks like and I think if, if you're trying to invite somebody and that that's one of the hardest steps you know and it, it's all about you know knowing your story and knowing what God did in your life before Christ was there what brought you to Christ and then what has changed in your life because you can't argue with that you know and I've had folks that want to argue points about the Bible and they want to argue this and that and, and I got you you know and, and, and we can talk about that that's all great but nobody can argue with that little boy in the van it's really just going back to to our story and, and it's a great story I'm proud of it let's pray together Lord, thank you for Wade and Summer and their family and the way in which you're working in their lives and how they represent so many lives that are being blessed and challenged and encouraged to grow. And uh, we thank you that we get to be part of that. And now, Lord, we turn our attention to your word and its truth and its wisdom and its goodness. And we pray that we would be receptive to receive what it is you want to give us today. And we thank you and praise you for this time in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. So the year was 1988, and I was a young pastor serving a small rural church in the the far end of the Tidewater area, just a couple miles from the North Carolina border. We were out in the sticks. My first Sunday as the pastor of that church, we had six people there. That was the attendance. Now, over time, we grew that a little bit up to about 12, so by a percentage basis, we doubled the size of the church But it was a small church, and we wanted to grow. We wanted to reach our community. It was more of a rural community, so we didn't have a lot of neighborhoods around us. But within a five-mile radius, we had plenty of houses. And so uh, we spent some time thinking and praying about how we might reach our community, and we decided we were going to do door-to-door evangelism. And so I did some training on how to do that. And then on Wednesdays, we did this for about four to six weeks. Every Wednesday, we would meet at the church around 7 o'clock. We'd have a little prayer time. And then we'd divide up into teams, get into cars, and we'd go to uh, houses within a five-mile radius. We, we identified the houses in advance so we didn't go to the same houses. But we would go and we would knock on doors, and we would ask people if uh, they'd like to hear about Jesus, and we'd invite them to our church, and we'd leave them literature. And, and so we did this for several weeks, and uh, it, was, it was quite an experience. I, I got the, the door slammed in my face a few times, and... Uh, we had several people who weren't interested in that kind of a conversation. We understand that. But uh, at the same time, there was one guy, one young guy in particular, let's say he was in his early 20s, and uh, we led him to Jesus. And he accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior, prayed the salvation prayer, and that was really exciting. And then on, on another occasion, we came across a family that, that they identified themselves as Christians, but they didn't have a church home, and they weren't involved in any church. And so uh, we invited them to our church, and they started showing up each week and got very involved, very active, and, and grew in their faith. So it really was an interesting experience, and, and I think I learned two very important lessons from that. Uh, first, I learned that one of the things that, that causes us to be afraid to talk about Jesus to other people is we fear rejection. And I can tell you as someone who's had the door slammed in his face that rejection hurts a little bit, but not nearly as much as you think it's going to. 
I mean, we, we build up in our mind this terrible fear. Oh, they're not going to want to hear what I have to say, or they're going to they're call me some kind of a, a weird name, like a Jesus freak or something, and they're going to judge me. And so we have this fear of rejection. But I'll tell you, the more I knocked on doors and shared the faith, the, the, the less the rejection bothered me. It's like you build up a resistance to it over time, and, and you, you find that the Lord gives you courage. So it wasn't nearly as bad as I imagined it would be. And then the other lesson I learned is this. There is nothing more exciting, thrilling, and joyful as leading somebody to faith in Christ. Having the Lord use you in this way to help somebody get connected to Him and to pray the prayer of salvation and to receive Him as their Lord and Savior. There is nothing more thrilling than that. And so those were, those were important lessons to learn. But i got to say, I wouldn't advise doing door-to-door evangelism these days. I don't know that it, it works that well. I know some religious groups try to use it. My experience has been that it, it doesn't work that well, but it does raise a question, what can we do to reach our community for Christ? What can we do to be evangelists as we're called to be in the Scripture? You know, that word evangelist simply means someone who shares the good news of Jesus. That's all it means. And we're all called to share the good news of Jesus with other people, to be sort of an evangelist. But it raises two questions. Why should we do it, especially these days, and how should we do it? And those are the two questions we're going to try to answer today. Why should we bother telling other people about Jesus? And then how should we go about doing it in a way that doesn't feel awkward or intrusive or, or uncomfortable to who we are as Christians? So welcome back to our series, Go Fish, as we continue to learn about what it means to be fishing for people. You remember last week we talked about how Jesus called his disciples, and the first four disciples he called were fishermen, professional fishermen. And he said, you've been fishing for people all these years. Now I'm going to teach you how to, or you've been fishing for fish all these years. Now I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. And he called them, you're fishers of men and women. And so the goal was to help these, these men who were used to fishing for fish to then learn how to, to reach out for people in the name of Jesus, and draw them into, because the kingdom of God grows by invitation, by a willingness to share the good news and invite people to respond to it. And so last week, as we launched the series, I shared three fundamental truths that we have to embrace if we're going to be fishers of people. Three fundamental truths. And the first one is, it's not about coercion or condemnation. It's about sharing and inviting. We don't have to make people feel guilty. We don't have to try to somehow manipulate them with with shame in order to get them to accept Jesus. We simply need to share our story and invite them to respond. The second truth we we mentioned is that we've all got a story to share. More than one story, probably. But if you've encountered the love of God, you've got a story. It may not be some amazing story that that they'd make a movie about, but you've got a story to share, and, and people can relate to your story. And then the third thing we said, it's, it really all begins with prayer, that uh, how we're praying is more important than what we're saying. And so learning to pray for people, that God would give us an opportunity to, to share our faith, but that God would prepare the hearts of people uh, whom we might share our faith with, that, that's the key. So those were the three fundamental truths for fishing that we talked about last week. It's about sharing and inviting. Everybody's got a story to share, and it starts with prayer. Now, uh, That was last week. This week, we're going to look at two fundamental questions that we have to answer if we're going to be fishing for people. And those two fundamental questions are why and how. Why should we? How do we? In today's scripture lesson, 
uh, Jesus appears to his disciples, and this is at the very end of Jesus' earthly ministry. Last week we saw the very beginning of his earthly ministry when he's calling his disciples. Now we're at the very end of his earthly ministry. In fact, Jesus has already died on the cross. He's risen from the dead, and he's appeared to his disciples. And now the disciples are wondering, okay, what's next? And Jesus comes to them and appears to them and says, here's what's next. Keep doing what you're doing. I called you to be fishers of people. Now I'm sending you to be fishers of people. Keep inviting. Keep sharing the good news. Tell the world what's going on, what I've done for them. This passage of Scripture we read today is often called the Great Commission. The Great Co-Mission. It's a mission we're called to that we do together as the people of God. And so what Jesus is saying to his disciples is he's saying, you've got a job to do, and it's the same job you've been doing. But then he gives them this promise. You know, he, he says, I will be with you. See, up until this point, Jesus has been beside them. Now Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is going to be inside them. And they're going to have the power and the wisdom and the grace and the strength they need to share the good news with the world. And so Jesus sends them out on this great commission, and he promises them, as you go and make disciples, as you help people discover who I am and learn, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And remember this, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. In other words, keep doing what you're doing until I come back and then we'll move on to whatever is next, right? So, so your job, my job, is to be those modern day disciples of Jesus who share and invite others to experience what we've experienced. We have a job to do. And I've got to tell you, in the first century, those early disciples, their job was difficult. They were in a, in a culture that was hostile in many ways to Christianity. Many of them were arrested and beaten and tortured. Some of them even killed for their, their faith and their refusal to stop doing what Jesus had asked them to do. It was hard back in those days to share the faith. But it's hard these days too, isn't it? I mean, we don't have to worry about getting arrested or executed or thrown in jail or whatever, but, but it's still hard to evangelize, to witness, to share the faith, whatever you want to call it. It's hard to do that today for a lot of reasons, but here's two reasons. First of all, we're living in a culture today where people don't like to talk about spiritual things. I mean, back in 1988, when we were doing door-to-door witnessing, we found lots of people who didn't want to talk to us. But that's even more true today. People will talk about sports. They'll talk about the weather. They'll talk about their kids. They'll talk about their grandkids. They'll talk about politics sometimes. But man, when you get to spiritual things and religion, people are like, ooh, I don't want to talk about that. That's personal. That's private. Keep it to yourself. Save it for Sunday. Whatever. I don't want to hear about it. In fact, some of you know in a workplace, there are people who are so sensitive to this that if you even mention your faith in the workplace, some of them threaten you. You're creating a hostile work environment by talking about God and Jesus and stuff. It can be really challenging these days to know where the boundaries are, to know what you can share, what you can't share. And there's this pervasive sense in our culture that, you know, it's fine if, you, if you're a spiritual person and that works for you, but hey, you don't need to be talking about it. We, we don't want to hear it. That, that's one of the challenges we have today. But there's another challenge we also have, and that's people today don't really believe that what you believe really matters. Let me say that again. People today don't really believe that what you believe really matters. See, back in 1988 when we were doing door-to-door witnessing, 
Our, our small group of, of folks in the church, we believed we were bringing truth to people. We were bringing darkness into light, or light into darkness. We were, we were, we were approaching people with thought, something they needed to know to save their eternal souls, that Jesus was, in fact, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. We believe we were offering them life-saving information that they could respond to. Today, it's not that way. I mean, today it's different. People today kind of feel like, you know, God is bigger than any one religion, and all religions basically teach the same thing, and they all lead to the same place. It doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you're sincere and you try to be nice to people and kind, right? Who are you to try to impose your religious views on somebody else? Look, if it works for you, fine, but just, you know, all roads... Lead to, a loving God wouldn't make you choose one thing over another. And so, so this is the pervading attitude of postmodern life, that in the spiritual realm, there's no such thing as truth. There's just opinion. And your opinion about spiritual things is just as good as my opinion about spiritual things, and you keep your opinions to yourself, and I'll keep my opinions to yourself, and we'll just go along about our merry way. That's the reality. And in this reality, it's hard to go fishing because the water's so darn muddy. And yet, we've got to answer these two fundamental questions. Why should we? Given the reality of our modern life, why should we? And then how do we? Let's start with why should we. Here's, here's why we should. It's the loving thing to do. Sharing Jesus is an act of love. Now, it's an act of courage, but it's also an act of love. Sharing Jesus with someone is the most loving thing you can do. If you really believe... Jesus is who he said he is. If you really believe he's done what he said he would do, if you really believe what the Bible says about Jesus is actual truth and not just religious opinion, then sharing Jesus with others is the most loving thing anybody can do. Parents, let me talk to parents for a second. Helping your child come to know the truth about Jesus and respond to Jesus is one of the most loving things a parent can do. Did you hear Wade in the video today? How, how Wade got a sense that, hey, part of my responsibility as a parent is to help my child come to know Jesus and respond to that gift that Jesus offers. He, it's, it's not, hey, I want my kid to have a religious opinion, so I'll give it to him. No, I want my kid to discover the truth about Jesus so that can shape him and form him. I want to be the kind of parent who honors the scriptural uh, command to train up a child in the way he should go. Parents, when you help your kids come to know Jesus, you're loving them in a very important way. And I know as kids get older and they hit those awkward teenage years and they become young adults, it gets harder and harder to help them see the importance of church and faith. But, you know, I'm telling you, parents, it's part of our responsibility to do it as as best we can as God helps us. You know, I I hear parents sometimes say... they say, well, you know, I, I, I don't want to force religion down my kid's throat. I don't want my child, I want my child to be able to decide for himself or herself. Therefore, we're not going to make a big deal about church or God or anything. And, and when they're old enough, they can just decide for themselves what they want to do. And I understand that sentiment. I really do. But let me push back on it just a little. I mean, imagine parents that your child would wake up one morning and say, hey, I don't want to go to school anymore. I, I'm not going to school. Would you say, 
I want my child to decide for himself whether school is important or not. No, you'd say, get your clothes on, you're going to school. Right? Your, your child says, I don't want to get braces for my teeth. I like crooked teeth. I'll let my child decide whether they want to have crooked teeth or not. No, you'd say, come on, get in the car, we're going to the orthodontist. Your, your child is at the dinner table and they don't want to eat their vegetables. And you say, well, I want my child to decide for himself or herself whether they should have a healthy diet or not. No, you say, come on, eat the vegetables. You can put a little ketchup on it if that'll help. I don't know. But, but here's the thing. There's things we do as parents all the time. We put our foot down. We fight the good fight because we know it's the best thing for our kids. And we don't do it because we're angry control freaks. We do it. Why? We love them. We love our kids. And because we love them, we want the best for them. Listen, listen. if you found out your child was physically malnourished, you would, you'd move heaven and earth to make sure they got what they needed to overcome that condition. And yet sometimes Christian parents allow their kids to become spiritually malnourished and think it's no big deal. I'm telling you, parents, this is, this is a fight worth fighting. Now, I know as they get older, you got to figure out how to fight that fight. But, but, you know, when they're younger, do the work. Be the parent. Say, we're, this is going to be important to us, especially in a church like this, where we knock ourselves out to try to make a place for kids that's meaningful and helpful and encouraging and supportive so they can discover that God loves them and that Jesus wants the best for them. Oh, I tell you, I know it's hard. I know it. But it's, it's the loving thing to do. And it's not just for parents. It's also for neighbors and friends and co-workers. If we love like we're, we're called to love, we'll overcome the natural fear and intimidation that prevents us from sharing our faith, and we'll find a way to share that's helpful and good. Last week, I I quoted D.T. Niles, the great evangelist of the last century, who said that, hey, he he says, I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread, right? That's a a great way to look at it. Let let me have you imagine for a second that you're walking down the street and you've got this big old loaf of bread under your arm, right? And and you've got this big old loaf of bread and you're walking down the street and you come across somebody who's literally lying by the side of the road and they look like they may be starving to death. And they're so hungry. Now, you've got this big loaf of bread, and you see this hungry person. What's the loving thing to do? Right? You'd give them a piece of bread, wouldn't you? Of course we all would. Because we know that's, what, that, that's, that's the loving thing to do. Here's what you probably wouldn't do. You probably wouldn't say, well, I don't want to make them feel bad for being hungry. So I, I'm not going to make them feel guilty, so I'm not going to offer them any bread. You're not going to do that. You're not going to say... Well, how do I know he's really hungry? Maybe, maybe he's just skinny. Right? And here's what we wouldn't say. We wouldn't say, I mean, uh, who am I to judge whether he needs bread or not? Besides, I don't believe a loving God would let anybody starve to death. Right? We wouldn't do any of that. We'd give them bread because we know we've got bread and they're hungry. I'm telling you, friends, what love requires for those of us who know about Jesus, love requires that we find a way to share Jesus. Because we love. If we really believe it, if we truly love, we'll share. Because this world needs what only Jesus can give. And to say, man, I found some good bread. Are you hungry? Is, it, is a perfectly loving question to ask. So that's the why. The reason we, 
The reason we figure out a way to share Jesus is because that's what love requires. Now, here's the second question. How do we go about doing it? Now, this is where we have to figure it out. It's not easy, but here's, you know, last week I mentioned you've got to be in prayer. That's, the, that's maybe the place to start, but here, here's a suggestion. Become the kind of person who's open to letting other people talk to you about their problems, their struggles, their fears, their worries. Become a person who's approachable. That, that, that people who have problems, struggles, fears, and concerns can come and sense that they can, they can talk to you about that. Because here's, here's what you'll discover. When people come to you with their problems, their struggles, their fears, and concerns, it, it becomes an opportunity to help them discover Jesus. I can tell you this, the people I have led to faith in Christ, other than the guy when I knocked on his door, I told you about him, almost all the people I've ever helped discover Jesus as Lord and Savior didn't come to me and say, hey, would you tell me about Jesus? That didn't happen. Here's what happened. They came to me and said, man, I, I'm struggling in my marriage. Man, my, my finances are a mess and I'm going to lose the house. Uh, oh my gosh, I just got a terrible report from the doctor and I'm scared. Man, I, 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 my kids are out of control and I don't know what to do. I've got an addiction problem I can't seem to kick. See, people come with their struggles, their problems, their challenges, and their fears. And that becomes the opportunity to share Jesus. Because ultimately, any problem somebody has, ultimately, Jesus is the answer. Because every external problem you and I face has a spiritual root to it. And so getting to that spiritual root almost always involves helping somebody either discover Jesus for the first time or recommit to Jesus or acknowledge there's some area of their life that they haven't yet submitted to Jesus. And so, so when people are willing to talk about their problems, their struggles, their, their worries, we get to listen and then help them find Jesus. You heard the story about the father who was watching a football game one Sunday afternoon and his little seven-year-old son kept coming and interrupting him. And the father was kind of irritated with that, really wanted to watch the game in peace, and so he... During a commercial break, he, he went over and got a National Geographic magazine. He's flipping through it. He found this picture of the world, one of the maps of the world. He ripped that out, and he ripped it up into tiny little pieces, and he gave it to his little son with some clear tape. And he said, hey, son, see if you can put this map of the world together. Tape it back together. That'll be a fun little game for you. And then he went back to watch his football game thing, and it'll be a long time before that kid figures it out. But just a few minutes later, that little boy walks in, everything taped together, the, the world, the map, perfect. And the father's amazed. He thinks his son's a genius. He says, son, how did you do that? The little boy explained. He said, well, dad, you know, on the other side, the back side of that map, on the opposite side was a, a picture of a man. And so I just turned all the pieces over. And I, I put the picture of the man together. And I figured if I got the man together right, the world would be together right. Father picked up his little boy, put him on his lap and said, Son, that's right. When a man or a woman or a teenager or a child is put together right, the world will be together right. Amen? And I'm telling you, friends, that's what is needed the, the world needs you. You see that bumper sticker says Jesus is the answer? He really is. He really is. Now, of course, there are things we've got to do 
to fix the marriage, to deal with the finances, to to get through the the health scare. There's things we've got to do, but at the root of it all is finding the, the source of strength and wisdom and encouragement in Jesus. Story of the Sunday school teacher with the class of 10-year-olds, and uh, she's, she says, kids, i got a question for you. I'm, I'm going to describe something. You tell me what it is. She says, it, 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 it's, a, it's a little furry creature with a bushy tail that climbs trees and collects nuts. W- w- what am I talking about? And the kids are all looking at each other, kind of a little suspicious, and one little boy raises his hand. He says, well, it sounds like you're describing a squirrel, but, but since we're in church, I'm going to say Jesus. I suppose there are some questions where Jesus is not the answer. But in all the big questions, all the important questions, all the major questions in life, Jesus really is the answer. When, people, when we become the kind of people whom people come to because they, they sense that we're willing to listen and empathize and, and hear about their struggles and problems, then we have the opportunity. We have earned the right to share with them the answer, which is Jesus. So, one way we share the, the good news of Jesus is just be willing to listen to people when they have their struggles. Now, here's another way we can do this, uh, we can share our faith, is invite people to church. Invite people to church. Um, people may not want to talk to you about their problems. They may not want to talk to you about Jesus, but you can invite them to church where they will get to hear about Jesus. Statistics show that a, about 80% of people who visit a church for the first time, they come because they were invited by somebody. That was Wade and Summer's story. They ended up at Ebenezer because somebody took the risk to invite them to Ebenezer. And so that's a, that's a fairly easy thing to do. You'll notice in our lobby area, or narthex, there's a lot of pictures on this uh, fish netting. And some folks are wondering, what are those pictures about? What are those pictures of? Those are fishing stories. Uh, th- those, those are pictures of people who invited somebody to church and the person whom they invited who ended up coming to our church, joining our church, and now is actively involved in our church. So as you look at those pictures, you'll see a little word that says invite. That's somebody who extended an invitation to somebody. And then you'll see a, a, a little string that leads to another picture that says invited. That's the, that's the person or couple they invited who ended up coming. And, and uh, that's just a sample of the many stories we have. Stories of changed lives that all began with Somebody invited me here. Somebody cared enough to say, hey, you ought to come to our church. Uh, listen, if you're not comfortable talking about Jesus, that, that's, that may be true. That's all right. Just invite somebody to church. Let Mark Montgomery and I do the heavy lifting for you. Right? We'll talk about Jesus. And, and we try really hard. We work really hard to make the sermons relevant and biblical and engaging and helpful because we know what's at stake. I've had people say, I've had, this is, I'm not kidding. I've had people pull me aside before the service and uh, introduce me to someone they've invited to church for the Sunday and then kind of say softly that only I could hear, say, hey, don't blow it today. Right? <laughs> I mean, I get it. I get it. I don't want to blow it, so bring them. And you know what? Every few weeks we offer the salvation prayer so folks can accept Jesus as their Savior. Once a month we offer the sacrament of Holy Communion, another opportunity for people to accept Jesus. See, we, 
we, we want to help. We want to partner uh, because it's a co-mission. The Great Commission is a co-mission. We do it together, and we want to help with that. But hey, if inviting people to church is even a little too intimidating, maybe you can start by inviting somebody to a movie just to get you in the ha- habit of inviting people to something. Uh, we have rented out a movie theater down at Paragon Village 8. It used to be Movie Co. down in Spotsylvania Mall. On April the 8th at 4 o'clock, we're going to have a, a whole movie theater that... Uh, is rented out for you to come and see the movie Hidden Figures. Now, I know some of you have already seen Hidden Figures. Come see it again. People say, hey, I can see it two or three times. It's that good. But if you haven't seen it, here's an opportunity to see it. We're going to be selling tickets starting next Sunday for $7 each. But here's the catch. You buy a ticket for $7, we give you a free ticket to go with it. The purpose of that free ticket is for you to invite somebody. Invite somebody who's not a part of our church, somebody who, who maybe doesn't have a church home, and maybe uh, you're, you're not comfortable yet inviting them to church, but you could get up the nerve to invite them to a movie. And so give it a try. See, see what will happen. See what God might do. And after you invite them to a movie, maybe you'll get an opportunity later on to invite them to church. You know, Easter is coming up, and uh, research shows that people who aren't part of church are most often open and receptive to an invitation to church on What, two days? Christmas and Easter, right? And rather than being one of those churches that makes people feel guilty, oh, the Christer people are here, only Christmas. It's rather than doing that, we want to welcome them. Good, glad you're here. Rather have you twice a year than not at all, right? So so if that's where we got to start, that's where we're going to start. But by all means, we are going to want to invite and encourage and accept people where they are. You know, one of the things that I, I love to hear is, Wade and Summer's story is that when they came to this church, they weren't made to feel guilty. They weren't made to feel that they had to be at a certain level in order to fit in. We want to do evangelism like Jesus did. We want to go fishing the way Jesus went fishing. There's an old expression, you've got to catch the fish before you can clean them, right? Too many churches want to have only clean fish. No, we, we accept you right where you are. We'll let Jesus do the rest. We'll just encourage you along the way. Amen? So let's wrap up. Um, Remember, we've got a job to do. And it's the most important job in the world. Followers of Jesus are also fishers of people for Jesus. And it's not easy, but it's worth it. Why do we do it? Love. When you've got bread and you're living in a world full of starving people, love requires that you, you offer the bread. How do we do it? Wisely, intelligently, ways that are natural to us. So be willing to listen to people when they come to you with their problems and their struggles. That's a great opportunity. Be willing to invite somebody to church when you sense the Holy Spirit is encouraging to do that. But the bottom line is, we're going to go fishing. Because that's what Jesus desires. That's what love requires. That's the job we have to do. And best of all, we don't do it alone. We do it together, knowing that Jesus is with us, even till the end of the age.